Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, you shall make a guardrail for your roof. So this is simply safety. Do not cause blood in your house. Because if you don't put up that fence and somebody falls, that's going to be on your head. Says Rashi. Rashi says the Torah is not just giving us a bunch of random laws, but rather it's showing a progression. If you fulfill the mitzvah that we read about just before, which is shooing away the mother bird and not taking its eggs or young in its presence, you do that mitzvah, you'll be rewarded and you'll have the merit to be able to build a new house and you'll be able to do the mitzvah of make. Make is the fence, the guardrail on the roof. One mitzvah brings another in its train literally drags one mitzvah drags another so when you do one mitzvah you're rewarded and you get to do another mitzvah and then it continues we're going to read now about laws of the vineyard laws of the field laws of garments you keep doing mitzvahs more good things happen that's why these parshas, these passages are juxtaposed one to another. Rashi now comments on this unusual expression that the one who falls should fall from it. What does that mean? The one who falls should fall. Says Rashi, the fact that this guy fell off the roof it's not an accident that he fell off the roof. He was meant, he was supposed to fall off a, a roof. That was by divine design. Nevertheless, so you might ask, so why should I put up a fence? If anybody falls, because they were meant to fall. The answer is, don't allow yourself to be the vehicle of this negative, death, of this death happening. Because Meritorious things are executed through meritorious people, while things of ill fortune are executed through guilty people. So this person is going, this is going to happen to this person, but don't make yourself into the vehicle through which it happens. That's why it says, Ki pol hanofel, the one who falls will fall. Mm. Alluding to this idea that this person is going to fall, but still. Don't let yourself let it be your house that is, that that is the vehicle for that eventuality. God will have to figure out a different uh, place in a different way. Verse nine: Do not a new law. Do not plant your vineyard with a mixed variety of species. Kilayim kilayim means the mixed varieties. Got to keep things separate. Pentikta Thus, the increase, even the seed that you sow and the yield of the vineyard, both become forbidden. Says Rashi, you cannot plant wheat and barley and, um, and, and grape seeds. You can't put that all together and plant it. 
verse 10, and now we have another law of things that should not be mixed. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. In other words, don't take a harness, don't harness the donkey and the, and the ox to one harness, forcing them to walk together. Says Rashi, it taught a very specific in talking about an ox and a donkey. What about other animals? Says Rashi, the same applies to any two different types of animals. You cannot mix them. And it's not just plowing, but anytime you tie them together, you bind them together as a pair for transporting any load, that is true, is also going to be a So Rashi is telling us, the verse is giving us examples of what is typically done. It doesn't mean to limit the commandment to this specific example. So it doesn't only mean plowing, and it doesn't only mean a donkey and an ox, any two types. Now, there are other opinions, if I'm not mistaken, that say Torah is giving you an example of a kosher animal and a non-kosher animal. Those shouldn't be mixed. But Rashi is reading that it's any two types. Of course, the reasoning behind it, we don't know. Torah doesn't say why. But, of course, been suggested that when these two animals who each go at a different gait, they have a different uh, style of walking. And so when you're tying them together, you're putting one of them, certainly, and maybe both of them in a very uncomfortable position. So this is, again, we're seeing the second time in the Parsha where the Torah is concerned for um, what we do with animals and how we treat them. Spencer, go ahead. Um, with regards to not mixing vegetables or uh, seeds of different, different uh, vegetables or fruit, does that also apply, like, if you have a garden in your backyard and you don't have a lot of space, can you only plant, like, tomatoes and you can't plant strawberries or whatever else it is? Or, like, is that, are there certain parameters, like, within a certain space that they can't be mixed? Or how yes, is that they, calculated? It's a very good question. And, yes, as long as they are separated and they don't look like they're growing together and there's a certain amount of distance between them, I forget the exact amount of how far it has to be apart then it would be allowed. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. You have to be careful about that. It's an excellent point. Thank you. Okay. Verse 11. We continue with more mixing that's not allowed. Lo shatnes. Do not wear a mixture of wool and linen. Semer pishtim. Semer is wool. Pishtim is, is linen. Yachtav together. So we've had... Don't mix the seeds, don't mix the animals in their work, and now don't mix wool and linen in your garments. Shatnez Lushen Irov, where Shatnez means mixing. In um, Orthodox communities, if you walked up to somebody wearing a jacket and you open up his jacket, you will. Um, may see a little tag that says this jacket has been checked for shotness and is clear of shotness and it was checked by the shotness lab there are shotness labs where you can bring your your suit and they'll take up take uh, some samples from it usually from the from the collar over here anything that's used to strengthen the the jacket 
is suspect for having some linen in it. So if you have a wool jacket, and especially the more expensive ones like Hugo Boss, if you ever want to go out and buy yourself a Hugo Boss suit, it'll be expensive. But in addition to that, you may have shotness in there because they use the linen to strengthen certain parts of the garment to uh, make it stronger. So you can you can go in mo ma most major cities in America, you can go to a shotness expert and they will take apart your brand new suit and give it back to you looking a little worse, but it will be free of shotness or they will confirm that there is no shotness in there. I believe in Palo Alto as well. They have somebody who can check. Verse 12, and that's a classic. Shotness is a classic chok. You know, chok meaning the mitzvahs that we don't have a reason for, or Torah doesn't give a reason for. Red heifer is one of them. But the shotness, why, why not have wool and linen in a garment? There's mystical reasons for it. There's, there's a midrash that ties it back to Cain and Abel that one of them brought flax, one of them brought an animal. We're not mixing these two things. Kabbalistically, one is um, one is chesed, one is kindness, one is gevura, one is strength, severity, harshness, and therefore we're not allowed to mix them. We also have exceptions in the temple, the belt of the Kohen, Kohen did have shotness, and so there this mixing of, of kindness and, and severity is not a problem because it's in a very high, holy environment. Also the tzitzit, which are a mitzvah, can also be made of wool and linen. So there also this mixing that otherwise is toxic can also exist. So these are some mystical explanations, midrashic explanations, but on the face value, it's simply a chok, a statute that, you know, unlike don't mix these two animals, which we could readily understand, shatnas. And yet here we are thousands of years later, Observant Jews are keeping this commandment and won't wear a suit until they check it for shotness. Some of the big suit stores in, in, uh, in New York, they advertise, you know, we've got a shotness lab on premises or all of our suits are checked for shotness. You don't have to worry. Verse 12, speaking of tzitzes, what does it say? Gedilim tasalach, you shall make yourself twisted threads. So gedilim, it means twisted or braided, al arba on the four corners of your garment, with which you cover yourself. What's the juxtaposition of shatnez, the mixing of all the linen? And tzitzis says, Rashi, af the Torah by juxtaposing says that with tzitzis, you are allowed, mitzvah tzitzis with the, the um, you know, the small, with the, the prayer shawl that we wear with the, with the fringes or uh, what's called the talis katan, which observant Jews wear um, upon their, uh, you know, over their, over their undershirt, but under their, under the, sh under their shirt. Um, those are called tzitzis. The tzitzis theoretically are the strings. I mean, literally are the strings that come out in the four corners. So those are allowed to be from wool and linen. That's why the Torah juxtaposes the two. Now, just to take a moment on the mitzvah of tzitzis, the Torah says, if you have a four-cornered garment, then you have to put the tzitzis upon them. But what if you don't have a four-cornered garment? Do you have to go and get a four-cornered garment in order to be obligated in the mitzvah and do the mitzvah? 
Torah itself does not require that. However, over time, tradition became to do that because it's kind of an easy mitzvah to do. And it became a tradition to go out of our way to get ourselves a four-cornered garment and to wear the tzitzis upon it. Now, the talis that we wear in the shul, this is a, a separate issue, which is that during a prayer, you're supposed to wrap yourself in a talis. It adds to our kavanah, to our, our concentration, to our state of mind. Um, and the, that's called the talis gadol, the, the big talis, and then the talis katan, that's the the, 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 um, the tzitzis that observant Jews will, will wear you know, from, from age three, a little boy will, will be trained to start wearing the tzitzit every, every day. Um, there is no requirement to wear the tzitzit at night. However, according to Kabbalah, and this is the custom of Hasidim, that we wear the tzitzit at night as well. Okay, so I think it's a good place to pause and open it up to questions and comments. Hello. That's a question. Actually, there are two questions. My first question is for the roof. Um, is uh, it, who can be on the top of the roof? Is there supposed to be a? I mean, two questions actually. To me, it's supposed to be either your family member because the the rooftop normally people use in the southern places like in Tashkent. You know, people over there in the summertime sleep on the roof. It, I, I believe, like in. Uh, in uh, you know, Eretz Royal is the same thing probably people were doing over there when they were leaving because it's hot. So normally, you know, you don't leave two strangers, you know, on the roof with you, you know, it's supposed to be some of the members of your family probably, that's my first question. Or who else can be over there? Maybe the repairman or something, you know, or your guest, but it's somebody who close to you, somebody to, you know, uh, Ukraine or something, you know. Well, I think uh, it could be anybody. It could be a relative. The Torah is not saying it would be a, a stranger necessarily. It could be anybody. It could be a family member. It could be a, a guest. It could be the repair person. Yeah. What weren't you saying earlier that this is just really giving examples that apply to lots of things where you really want to not be in a position where you make yourself the one that caused this. And if it's exactly. you, you're, you're protecting yourself by doing the right thing so that if it's God's will, it happens, okay. That's God's will. If I didn't, I didn't contribute to it by, by doing something wrong. Is that, is that what you were saying? Yes, that's a good point. So, you know, yeah, that, that's an excellent point. So the, the mitzvah to put up a, a, a guardrail around the roof is a general principle that we have to, um, we have to create safe conditions I think in the Talmud, it talks about, you know, in a similar vein, you're not allowed to raise a wild dog that's a danger to society. A pit bull. Um, you, you, that's, that's um, you know, you're putting, you're putting people at risk. So that would be, even though it's in your home, it doesn't matter because if somebody, you know, people do come into the home and you shouldn't be the, the cause for, or the vehicle for somebody getting harmed. Um, yeah, so I think it's in general, I mean, today we're pretty good about it. Society here in America anyway, uh, they've got a lot of laws that drive us crazy when we do construction, <laughs> the, the, the OSHA laws, even during construction, four feet, 
four feet wide for the uh, for the steps or the ramp. You need to have room to turn. The rise can't be too drastic. So we have a lot of laws to protect people from getting injured. And um, here it's talking about death. You know, Ipalanofi is going to fall. Presumably, we assume that, you know, it's a fear of death. But even though, you know, serious injury could cause a serious injury. So that's a good point. Yes, yeah, so it's a general it's a kind of giving an example of some danger you might be putting people in, but it, it can be applied to any type of situation. The way I noticed uh, on, uh, on the synagogue, the iron workers were working on the, on the, on the beams quite high without any harnesses and all that. This is not right. You know what it is. Really? Not, oh, yeah. They're supposed to put special cables. They know they don't want to do it. It's expensive, but technically, you know, to work a beam 25 foot above, you know, the concrete floor. Right. Not, uh, yeah, I was actually surprised about that. They're doing that. You can look it up once in a while, you know what they're doing. You know, once they connect in this, this thing, they're supposed to be more careful, definitely. You know? In fact, I have I have pictures of it. I just posted. Maybe I should take down the pictures now <laughs> to see. When they're working, just, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah, it can be an issue. Yeah. It's like those photos that you see of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's like those photos that you see of uh, people from back in the, you know, the 1920s building the Empire State Building. Right. And they're, you know, Sitting seven on the beam. feet above the ground, yeah, on the edge. And those guys have no fear of heights. <laughs> right. They're sitting on the bridge. And another thing is, uh, you know, just that to fall from regular, you know, how about the regular roof right now? It's supposed to be only in the roof that people can live on or... Right. People deal with right now houses, you know. I don't see any, you know, fences. Right. So that, that's a good point. And the answer is that the requirement to put up this guardrail is only for a roof that people actually use, like you were describing earlier. But if it's a roof that you typically don't go up on, there's, no, there's not a requirement. Because if it's a roof that you don't typically go up on, then you go up, you're being very careful. Yeah. still dangerous but it's not as dangerous if it's a place where people are just hanging out then they get comfortable and they forget where they are and is a desk or a balcony or a deck or a balcony considered like a roof in this situation and that you need guardrails yes no it's not yeah. technically the, the top of the house but right no that's a good point but it's the same it's the same concept mm -hmm. so if it's if the um the danger is the same and it's definitely something that people would use. Think about how many stories have come from balconies falling and things like that. Yeah. With regards to uh, shotness, is that only like if you have a wool t-shirt and uh, linen pants, is that okay? Or is it only in like the actual making of the fabric that it's uh, not allowed? Great like question. Only it's only a problem if it is within one garment. You could wear a, a linen jacket and wool pants. Yasha, call on that question, Spencer. That was a good one. Thanks. Yoshi, that's why the talit katan called arbicantus. in English. That's why. Right, the talit katan is also called arbacanfus. Yeah, I know because because we call it in the whole edition arbacanfus. So arbacanfus in it's Hebrew is arbacanfot, which means yeah. four corners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's some people will call the um, the talis cotton, 
the Arba Canvas. He just came corners. from that thing, I think. They just wore, yeah. But we call it the tzitzis. Yeah. Or get your tzitzis. <laughs> or get your tallest cotton. Can I ask um, one thought on the wool and the linen together? Is it possible that it has something to do with what it represents? If you talk about kindness and you talk about strength, yeah, both are talked about, or a, a, I, what feels like a big part of the of the Torah in any of the books. It seems like, um, and there are times for either. They both seem like we've, you've talked in the past about the weight of you know responsibility at, within a different number of things. And when you talk about uh, kindness, there's a weight to that. There's a seriousness to it. There's a strength, there's a seriousness to it. And I wonder if it has to do with being able to manage the weight of it in all situations. So it's okay in the temple because the Kohen Godol is wearing that and can pay special attention to that response those those dual responsibilities and so can the wearing of the tzitzits and understanding the commandments associated with wearing that garment with the those in there so it seems like that's okay but in just in general just wearing a suit understanding or remembering the weight of those elements of your life as characters the characters of your life and keeping to the commandments that would be associated with them might be harder so to have that commandment might make more sense in that to set that example but i don't know that there's anywhere that that's written it's just what came to mind so it's I a, it's a great it's a great insight and uh, i'll tell you what it says i believe in the kabbalistic works about this and what it says we'd say at the end of every kaddish and at the end of every amida that God makes peace on high. So who's he making peace with on high? Though we're only fighting here. So the Midrash says that God makes peace between the angel um, Michael and the angel Gabriel. Or he makes peace between the, mm. the angel of water and the angel of fire. Right? basically peace between kindness and, and I said strength, but I really meant severity and judgment. Mm. So one is severity and judgment and one is kindness. So how does God make peace between these two opposite attributes? Mm. And the answer is that let's say the metaphor that's used is let's say you have two generals or two ministers of the, of the king that are very different and they can't stand each other and they can't uh, be in the same room as each other because it's fireworks. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. But when the presence of the king, when in the presence of the king, especially if they are, you know, angels and truly divine attributes, in the presence of the king, there's something that is larger than both of them. Presence of the infinite. Then they're able to make peace there's peace between them why because they're, they're in the presence of something that is greater than both of them and this similar thing like as you're saying when you're in, engaged in the mitzvah when you are in the holy temple in the environs 
then these two warring factions of wool <laughs> and linen can coexist because you're in the presence of the king. Uh, so it seems to have something to do with what you can deal with, what, and being in ability, where is the only place where there's calmness in those things would be in the two areas that you can wear it. Exactly. And you could take as a, as a takeaway and uh, leave you with that thought as a takeaway, the more we can connect with that, get into the, pre the presence of the infinite, the more the, these impossible impossibilities become possible. When you're in the presence of the infinite, you're, you're getting, you're, you're going beyond the particulars of the thing, which may create conflict. And um, and they're able to. There's a there's a, a transcendence there. Now, the other side of it is. The other side of it is that we do have to work things out outside the presence, so to speak, of the king. Even though the, the king is everywhere, but that's not our 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 regular consciousness. So we have to work things out within our regular consciousness. But at the same time, we have moments when we enter that transcendence, when we go to shul, when we do a mitzvah, and those moments enable us to, to bring peace back to our normal, quote-unquote, regular life. Perhaps it also can show how there's a time for tough love and there's a time for soft love. And maybe if you can bring those out at the right times, they don't have to be in conflict. Excellent point. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Today was our Wednesday, 830. I'm glad that uh, we're figuring out the times and um, hopefully no, not too much traveling for me going uh, forward uh, for a while. So we'll be hopefully be consistent. So our next meeting will be Friday, 12 p.m. for the last edition of Parsha's Kitetsei. Laila Tov. Laila Tov. Laila Tov. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. I'll be away on Friday. I hope to see you Sunday. Thank you. Okay.